You're listening to episode 59. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, your virtual pastor, and my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. You know, this week in Orlando, Florida, my hometown, this is a special, well, I don't want to say special. It is It is one of those moments that I would liken as citywide, but really nationwide. It's, it's a time when our city, a year ago, was brutally attacked by a young man who walked into a nightclub that was a gay nightclub, and he opened fire, and he killed 50 people. And I'm taking this episode this week just to kind of pause and to remind ourselves that what took place. And I want to kind of dedicate this perspective and just sort of reflect over the last year as to, you know, really how my perspective has changed and uh, particularly around debates concerning human sexuality. And, you know, the title of the show is How the Pulse Tragedy Reshaped My Attitude uh, in the LGBT plus versus Christian Debate. And so, listen, if you're an LGBT plus person, and, uh, you know, you're feeling on the defensive a little bit. You're like, okay, what is this guy going to say? What is this pastor going to say? I just want to tell you something right now. Give me, give me a chance. Give me a voice. You may not agree with what I have to say, but that's okay. All right? Because I may not agree with what you have to say, but we're both human beings. And what I want to do today in this show is I'm dedicating this whole, this whole show and recognizing that this is a highly debated subject area. And, you know, after a year, and I'm going to get into all of this, but after a year of really reflecting and after several years of actually doing doctoral research in this area, the one thing I can tell you is that there's nobody that fully agrees with everybody. And in fact, the debates are all over the place. And and who does what, how, who, who, how, who, and everywhere else, all that stuff, I'm just going to tell you right now, it, it's difficult, if not impossible, to get three or four people in the room and to say, hey, we all agree. I mean, I can tell you, I've served on as chairman of Board of Ministry, and, and we have all have all kinds of different debates. And, and depending on your background and depending on your life circumstances and depending upon the things that have shaped and defined your life, when you hear this subject, it very well may affect your response. And so I want to invite you, whether you're gay or straight, whether you're an evangelical Christian or you're, you know, uh, a secular person who has no faith, non-religious, nondescript, whatever, whatever or however you just self-describe yourself, the one thing that I want to say this is this, that human sexuality at its very core is a human issue. And I think that sometimes what we lose in these debates, particularly in our country where it's highly politically charged, is that we always lose sight of human beings. And so what I want to do today is I want to, I want to share with you what specifically changed. And it wasn't so much my own personal views of what the Bible teaches about human sexuality, but what has changed in terms of my heart, what has changed in terms of my compassion, what has changed in terms 
of you know how I respond and how I look out into the world and how I look at you know my my gay friends and my gay relatives and and to look at them not through a lens any longer of saying us versus them but a lens of compassion of love of what I believe truly is the lens of Christ and what I think is you know really the strength of the core Christian message but we we overshadow and what I think happens is sometimes like scales that sort of get piled on to issues in, in, in layers, suddenly we lose sight of what is the core message, and we begin to focus on the peripherals, the peripheries versus the center. So today what I want to do is kind of take us back to the center and kind of talk to you about what I think are human issues and what I think are, are human issues in terms of sexuality. So in our street theology today, I'm going to be looking at Psalm 8. I'm going to be talking about human dignity, what I believe that the Bible teaches about human dignity. And then also in our tip of the week, we're going to, or I have a resource that I want to share with you. It's one that I've shared with you before, but I think it's going to be real helpful. And then what I want to do is I'm going to give you in my feature presentation today, I'm going to talk to you just basically about four fundamental things that I think are so critically important when particularly for those of you who are evangelicals if you're an lgbt plus person i hope that what this will do is it will give you some hope that says hey there's groups of people out here who don't hate me and you know they're not interested in just you know criticizing me but they actually want to love me and 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 i hope that that if you're listening that that's going to be your reaction but what my message here today really it's for those of you who identify yourselves as evangelical christians and you're, chill, you're still just trying to wrestle with this. You're still trying to figure out, how do I respond? How, where, where do I think? Because I've been told by the leaders for the last 40 years, a message that, that, has, that has taught me to, be, to build up barriers, essentially, to build up barriers and, and, that I, and that I should always withdraw. And I want to suggest something to you that if that's how you're feeling, this is the show for you. So let's pray that we get through this today and hopefully that what will be, what really will come out of this, and this is just my heart now as your virtual pastor, that, that my heart here is ultimately that you'll experience the love of Jesus Christ. Because this show, Grace on Fire, is essentially that. It's about the understanding the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his unmerited, or, or his unmerited, or our unmerited, or I don't know how you want to say it, you know, I the unmerited forgiveness, we'll just use the unmerited forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ, and that he gives us this incredible love and this incredible compassion, and that one, when we understand that, that it should light our lives on fire and give us a whole new perspective in life. So let's get into this today. Let's look at some street theology on how we can Look at the Bible through some passages of Scripture that I think are going to really shape and reshape our understanding of human dignity, and then we're going to get into the rest of the show. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. So what I want to do today is I want to point you to Psalm 8, because in Psalm 8, there's this incredible passage of scripture, and I, I think that when we look at this text, what it does is, is that it, it, it causes us to think back a little bit about what does it mean to actually be a human being? What, what makes us different 
than say animals to insects and birds and all these other things? What what is it? Why what is so unique about being a human being? And I think that that's important because sometimes, and I, I'm gonna say this. I just want to say this right up front that. When you look around at our world today, particularly with all the war, and, and, and one of the things that I think has happened, particularly in the 21st century, is that we live in this world now of instant information where we can pretty much find out and, and we can understand what's taking place in Afghanistan and Pakistan in Far East, as well as you know in England and Europe and the United States and our own backyards, and we can gather that information instantaneously and and what it's and, and I think that one of the benefits of that is that it's revealed to us a world that is in chaos a world that is just pulsating and and, and, and I, I use that word pulse there purposely but it's pulsating with pain it's pulsating with, with with evil it's pulsating with chaos and and that what we really know if we could just pull back the lens from a moment, if we could just look at the earth, say, let's say, for example, we were to sit on the moon and we were able to look at the earth, not in terms of the beauty of the world that's shaped far away, but if we were to look at the human chaos and the carnage and the wars and everything that was taking place, then we were able to see that all from a macro level, that what we would discover is that human beings, we are radically against each other and we are radically working against each other and we're, and we're really radically hating each other. And as a result of that hatred and as a result of all the things that are going on at the world, that we are actually uh, causing each other so much pain. But the problem is, and here's the problem, we don't have that macro point of view. We don't have the, the point of view, which I'm suggesting is probably God's point of view. We don't have that point of view because we don't have that capability, but we do have the capability in terms, if we could just pause for a moment and think reflectively about what the media is telling us. And the reason why I start there, and, I, and that probably, you know, that probably seems like a strange place when you're talking about human sexuality. But just think about the tensions when we talk about human sexuality here in the West. I mean, right now, there's all kinds of things happening. There, are, There's all kinds of debates taking place, particularly in churches, as to what the Bible actually teaches about human sexuality, what the Bible says about marriage, what the church teaches about marriage, what the church teaches about human sexuality, and how those things are incorporated into our, our overall faith beliefs and our overall belief systems. And there are ethical debates, and, and, and they are important debates, and I don't want to take away from those ethical debates, because I think that it's important that we understand that uh, what we believe ultimately shapes how we live our lives. Let me say that right up front. What we believe ultimately shapes how we live our lives. But, you know, we just got to pause for just a moment, because I think what happens is, is that I don't know about you, but what happens to me is I get so worked up on an issue that I forget the person who has the opposite issue with me is a person, and then I want to beat them, right, because I'm competitive. And sometimes when we take that posture and we begin to go with a posture of having to prove your system of belief over the other person's, Rather than demonstrate, you're actually demonstrating something that you may not be realizing. 
which is you may be demonstrating to something to a person who has a contrary view that whatever you are, if you come across as hateful and you come across as judgmental and you come across in such a way as argumentative, well, what does that say about your belief system? And that was one of the things that I realized that as I began to look at my life and to look at my attitude towards the LGBT plus person. Now, listen, I'm talking as a straight guy. Can, and let me, just, let me just be a straight guy for just a moment. Can I just tell you that growing up in the South and growing up as a, you know, a white guy, straight guy, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had a blurred lens. And I've had to, I've had to spend a lot of time just examining my own presuppositions and to think reflectively. And what does that mean, reflectively? It means to kind of just pull back for just a moment and say, Jonathan, do you like who you are? Let me give you a great example of this. And this is a little bit off topic, but I want to say this because I think it's important. A number of years ago, and this is probably going back, let's see, we're in 2017, so this is probably going back 14 years ago, 12 years ago. There was a church in town, and I'm not going to say which church it was, but there was a a church in my hometown here in Orlando, and that church was led by a very well-known theologian. Now, there's lots of them in the area, so, you know, don't go looking on the internet and saying, well, 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 who who is this guy that Jonathan doesn't like? Don't do that, okay? Please. So, but anyways, but what I noticed about that, that experience of just being in that culture of that church I mean, I thought the teaching was great. I still think agree with probably 95% of what that man taught. I really do. I think that, uh, you know, I've never heard anything that I fundamentally disagree with. The problem was that there was sort of a, an underlining chauvinism that was prevalent inside this church. And I looked at my wife one day and I said, you know, honey, I said, and I, just at this point, I had a little girl, and I'm so glad I decided this, by the way. Because I had this little girl who was just, I mean, she was just, she was, she was a terror. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. No, nah, terror's not the wrong. She was strong-willed. She was spirited. You know, that's the positive way of saying it. But she kind of terrorized my life at times with her crying and temper tantrums and embarrassing moments. But we won't go there. So anyways, that's a Tad Life segment for another time in another place. But you get the idea. But I, I looked at this little girl and I said, you know, this girl is loaded with energy. She's loaded with personality. And the last thing I wanted to do was to raise her in an environment where she was going to feel somehow inferior based upon her gender. And that is an example of what I'm talking about, that I had to reflectively think about the culture of that church, even though me as the man, me as the husband, and and me as the guy, and I'm listening to this theologian, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I really like what this guy's having to say, and there's not much that I'm walking away here, and I'm being fed, and blah, 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 but I had to look at my daughter and to sit in her shoes, and that is, you know, to think about what would it be like for my daughter to be raised in this church, and ultimately, I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, honey, I said, "I, I, I know you're strong enough that you can move past this chauvinism that's in this room. But I don't want to raise my daughter in this room, in this cult church. And so we left the church. And it was the best decision that I ever made for my daughter because I knew that if she was raised in that, that her spirit would be crushed and that she could ultimately interpret that God didn't like her based upon her gender. And that's what I'm talking about here today in terms of being able to reflect 
to think about this theologically, spiritually, philosophically, to pull back for just a moment and to reflect on what's going on versus just simply reacting. Because when we, we start reflecting and stop reacting, I think we can get to this point of what I call human issues. Now think about this. Psalm 8 is a great little psalm, and, and I have it right here, and I'm reading out of the NIV. But it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him a ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, that you may listen to that and you're sitting here thinking, okay, Jonathan, like I'm not following you. What, what, what is that saying? about human dignity. And I think that the answer here is this. It's found right here in verse four and five. Now, this is a poem. And the guy who's writing this poem is King David. And, if, and by the way, King David was the king of the Old Testament. He was the king. He was the highest of high. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was a ruler. He was I mean, he was the dude. There was there is nobody better than David in all of the Old Testament. And arguably Moses, but David really does represent the height of the people of Israel. Now, some, you know, point to Solomon and and you know that's debated. Well, let's not get there. But David also was really screwed up. And and if you read his Psalms, you start to see his heart. And unfortunately with David, we don't see the screwed up side of this passage today. But what I imagine David doing is this. Now, a couple weeks ago, I went on. I went to the beach. I took my wife to the beach and my family. And one of the things I love to do is I just love to sit there right at the beach. You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to the beach? And right as the sun is getting ready to set in the evening time, the water, everything starts to quiet down. The wind starts to die down a little bit Some in some places, particularly where we were in southwest Florida. And as the, the water starts lapping up on the beach, you can just hear it. And there's just a sense of reverence and a sense of awe. And I just sort of can relax there and, and just feel the presence of nature and feel the presence of, of the creation. And it just causes me to sort of reflect on this incredible world. And I think that that's what David's doing. He's opened up his Bible and he's reading Genesis 1. And then he writes these words, and when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, the beach, the water, the cosmos, the fish of the sea, all these things. What is man? Who are we? That God, you would even care about us. Who are we, God? And I think that we got to stop right there. Because then he says something that's remarkable. He says that you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. These heavenly beings of what David is talking about is he's talking about angels here. And he's talking about spiritual beings. And yet we're not like angels because we've been given something that the angels haven't been given, and that is we've been crowned. We've been given royalty. We've been granted status. We've been given authority. And so 
David is writing here, and he's reflecting on Genesis 1.26, which says that God created man and woman in, in, um, in his image. And he's just sort of reflecting on that. And, and what arises out of this passage, I think, is this idea that we were created with purpose, that we were created with design. And what Genesis 1.26, and this is what I believe is happening here, is that David's reading Psalm 8, and he's reading this, and then he's reflecting on it, and he's, he's just sitting there thinking to himself about the glory and the majesty of God and the glory and the majesty of the world, and he's saying, who are we? And then he's finding dignity, and he's finding purpose that God intentionally created human beings. And he did it in the form of our, and he says, or excuse me, in Genesis 1, it says that we were created in the image of God, and what the image of God there is that we were to reflect God. That is that we are mirrors of God. Not that God looks like us because God is spirit, we're flesh, but that is is that just like we see, God sees. Just like we hear, God hears. Just like we taste, I believe that God tastes. That is, is that God sees our needs, that he hears our cries, that he relates to us as a person, and that because God is a person, and just like you're a person and I'm a person, and so that what we see collectively throughout the world, this crazy world of four and a half or five billion people, is that reflectively we see human beings mirroring God. Not that we are perfectly doing that, because what we believe, particularly as Christians, is that when sin entered the world, it screwed everything up. And just like I said at the beginning of the show today, when we think about the chaos of the world today, what we're really seeing is this chaotic sin force still affecting us. But if we move past that for just a moment, and we can imagine human beings as they were originally created, that what we see is human dignity. And I think that what tragedies do, like the Pulse tragedy, like the recent shootings in London and in Manchester, what 9-11 reminds us of, is that whenever human beings, because of sin, act in hateful ways, that they're marring the image of God, particularly death, when we're destroying each other, and that it should cause us to see the pain of this whole thing. And so that when we see something taking place, even if it's with the LG, even if it's a person who murders another person and the person that is murdered, we necessarily don't agree with, that should not, that should not affect us or cause us to say, well, that was justified because he's like that. Never, never, never. And it, it bothers me at times, particularly among evangelicals, when we allow our political agendas and we, we allow our non-theological, our non-reflective attitudes to cast judgment on people because we disagree with them. I think that the compassion and the ethos of Christianity should cause us to rise above these issues and say these are human beings, human issues, and we have to learn how to show compassion with people that are very different than us. It may have very different sets of belief, but nevertheless, they're human beings. So the Bible points, I think, to human dignity, and that's what David's saying here. He is saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? That you have made him a little lower than heavy beings, but nevertheless, yet God has crowned him with his glory. And I think that, I think that sometimes just, and let me just leave it here, 
Now, I think that sometimes in these debates that we forget we're dealing with human beings. And so I want to encourage you today to look at this issue not as an us versus them, but to look at this as human issues. Because I think that it's human issues that radically affect the way that we respond. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And we're talking about things that reshaped my attitude in the LGBT plus verse Christian debate. And one of the things that really impacted me was that what took place with the Pulse tragedy, it set up a couple of events. And one of the events that took place was the introduction between myself and another guy named Bill Henson. And Bill Henson is the uh, the the founder of a ministry called Lead Them Home. And you can go find them at leadthemhome.org. And I'll have a link in the show notes. But what Bill does, and, and I've actually interviewed him on other episodes, so you can go back in and look for his episode, uh, Bill Henson. But what Bill does, and I think is so incredibly important, is that Bill really does a good job of shifting our posture. In fact, he has a program called Posture Shift. And he's arguing, just like I'm arguing here, that we need to shift our attitude. And we need to shift the way that we're thinking about this. And and I think this goes from, I think it goes for both people, by the way. I think that, you know, as evangelicals, we can shift all day long, but I think also the LGBT people need to understand that they've got to shift a little bit. And I think we have to work on reestablishing trust in order to develop this as a human issue. Because we need to talk about human sexuality in such a way, in a helpful medium, we're not, you know, throwing things at each other. And so Bill has some helpful tips. And so my tip of the week this week is to go to his website and to check out. He offers these posture posture shift seminars, and um, you can find them. They're all over the nation, but you can check out uh, Bill Henson and his posture shift seminar at leadthemhome.org. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And as we're talking about here on the show today, talking about human dignity and how the Pulse shooting really shifted my attitude in the in the LGBT person, LGBT plus person and gay to, uh, or I can't even say this. Forgive me. Forgive me. Let me get this right. How the Pulse tragedy shifted my attitude in the LGBT plus versus Christian debate. I think that's so critical. And uh, I actually said reshaped in the original title, and I think I think I even said reshaped in the introduction uh, as I was doing this. But I, I actually think I'm going to go with shift because I think that's the right word because you know that was really what I learned from Bill Henson. Okay, so this past weekend at Redeemer, I challenged my congregation. And I and the what I said was I challenged my congregation's response to the pulse shooting. And what I said was this: I said, if you're responding in judgment, and that in judgment looks like this, well, that's what they get. That's what they deserve. Then I think that you are way off the mark and frankly unbiblical. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a tirade for just a moment because I'm an Anglican minister, and I'm so sick and tired of seeing Anglican ministers lead with you know, basically what I'm going to call homosexual issues as being their defining issue. I'm just tired of it. And I think, guys, that we need to come up with a better way of describing our movement instead of just picking on people and saying, well, this is why we exist. You know, listen, we, there is a place for debating 
human sexuality, and there's a place for debating marriage and what that looks like. But, you know, we got to be cognizant of how we go about these debates, because here's, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but here's the thing that at the bottom line, we need to remember that people are involved. And when we lose sight of people, I think we're losing sight of mission. When we lose sight of people, I think we're losing sight of mission. And I think that we have to figure this mission thing out first before we start going out and start talking about ethics. Now, I do understand that ethics drives mission. I do believe that. But you know, interestingly enough, that if we could get our mission better oriented, perhaps we can go back and look at how our ethics need to align with our mission. And that's the problem, isn't it? Isn't the problem that we we are confusing mission and ethics, and so we think that we need to change our ethics versus changing our mission? But what about the ethics of mission? And I think that that's part of the problem, and that's a whole separate episode right there, the ethics of mission, and something that I want to talk about later. Because uh, right now, what I'm doing is just talking about how I've shifted. But, you know... I'm just kind of tired of it. And that's part of why I'm what's driving me here in my conversation today and what I'm sharing with you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four key areas on how I've shifted in the last year when it comes to the LGBT plus person and how I'm responding as a pastor. So number one here is I've decided to move from confrontation to, to compassion. That is, I've moved from confrontation to compassion. You know, I felt that every time I entered into discussions on human sexuality, that I had to remind people of ethical norms. You know, so I was confrontational, and you know, and frankly, I, w- I was a real jerk. And and I don't like that. I don't like that about myself. I don't like being a jerk, because I can be a real class, you know what. And the problem with that, and this is something I learned from Bill Henson, is that it automatically creates walls. And so, if you start leaving norms and say, this is what the Bible says, the Bible says that you... You shouldn't do this. Well, if you hear that, let me ask you a question. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell you exactly what I do. When someone says that to me about something that they disagree with me, I'm like, whatever, right? So why is it any different? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, by the way, in every case where Jesus is confronting sin, particularly for genuine sinners versus religious people, he always showed compassion And he always brought healing. When he was dealing with religious people, he almost always brought judgment and confrontation. And I think that we have to keep that in mind. So a good example of this, and this is kind of how I shifted, was a year ago. uh, I released a letter from our church. And in that church, I was talking about how to respond to the the Pulse shooting. And I got to tell you, I was frankly confused. And I really, and and I, I was so confused And I led with marriage. I said, nevertheless, we reaffirm that marriage is between a man and a woman. And, you know, I still believe that. I still believe that the Bible teaches that human sexuality is pretty much confined to the marriage bed between a man and a woman. That's what I believe. That's what I really believe. But when I released a letter about the tragedy that took place at Pulse shooting, I didn't need to include that because the Pulse shooting was not about my political beliefs or my theological beliefs about where sex should happen. It was about an atrocity that took place that affected all of us. But because of my confusion around how to respond at that time, I still came across as confrontational. 
And so I think that we have to move from confrontation to compassion because what was heard, and this came right back to me, and I was a little confused about this, but now I have a better understanding, was what a couple of people heard in the LGBT plus um, uh, group was they heard more hatred and rejection. And it sounded a lot like the guy who went in there and committed those murders. And that's not my heart at all. And so I think that that's something that we have to keep in mind in terms of just our own language, that we're leading with compassionate language. Number two, I think we have to recognize that the, the, recognize that the debate over sexuality is a human problem, not just their problem. You know, it's funny. As a pastor, I, I counsel people a lot, particularly regarding human sexuality. And, you know, I got to tell you this story. So there's a picture in my church, and it's of the Garden of Eden. And for whatever reason, the artist decided to depict the man that is Adam in this picture as a pretty well-toned, muscular guy. You know, he sort of goes probably to CrossFit and uh, works out, lifts weights and all that kind of stuff. And then he depicts Eve as this sort of young, sort of probably 20-ish girl who's perfectly fit and perfectly, you know, just whatever. And, and it was obviously the, the image of beauty in the artist's mind. And here's the problem. <laughs> and some of the guys, whether are gay or straight, who participate in some of our activities at the church, this is what happens. They go, man, every time I see that picture, I struggle. And, I, and, and here's the funny thing. The gay guy says I struggle with Adam. Straight guy says he struggles with Eve. But here's the thing. They're both struggling over the same picture. And that created a bridge in my mind to recognize that these guys are struggling with the same thing. Although their object of struggle is different, that is their object, their appetites may be different, their struggle remains the same. They're struggling with their response to a picture and how it's impacting their sexuality. So that's what I mean when I say that this isn't just a uh, their problem, this isn't a gay problem, or this isn't a straight problem, this is a human problem. And that is, is that there's all kinds of things that drive our appetites to respond in different ways. And depending upon how our backgrounds have shaped our souls and shaped our values and shaped our our belief systems, our appetites are radically affected by those things. And we will respond to stimulus like that picture in unique ways. I look at that picture and I always think about these two responses that I've gotten now. Um, and I always just laugh at that picture. I think, guys, what is it about this picture that's causing you to have these these responses. Eventually, what we had to do is just had to take it away because it was like, uh, this is this is pointless. It's it's self defeating. But I think it just kind of it, it should show us that there is a fluidity within human sexuality that sometimes we fail to recognize. And that fluidity, that that tension within sexuality, has to be recognized in order to understand that this is a human problem. Number three, I think, and I please hear me on this because I think it's so critical. We've got to separate politics from people. Now, that's hard to do because politics and people go hand in hand. Whenever you get a group of people that are like-minded, that have the same concerns, have the same backgrounds, and have the same kind of agendas, they are naturally going to become a political machine, all right? Not machine in the sense of... of of what I'm talking about going out and accomplishing things, but uh, they're going to be a political unit because they are representing the same kind of concerns. But the problem is, is that not everybody 
particularly not everybody, not every gay person or lesbian or or transgender person agrees with the LGBT plus agenda. And not every evangelical agrees with some of the more, uh, say, well-known evangelical leaders on this issue. And so what ends up happening is, is that we confuse politics with people. And very often, the people in the pews, your friends, your loved ones, your family members, suffer because we make that confusion and we don't keep that separation in our minds. So keep, you know, we have to separate politics from people. Now, I'm going to say this, and and you can you feel free just to radically disagree with me here, you know, because, hey, you know what? That's okay. But the people that refuse to bake the cake for that, uh, for that gay couple, I think that they were way off the mark. Here's why. Because they blew an opportunity to show the love of Jesus and to show the compassion of Jesus and say, hey, you want a cake? Here. I won't just make you one cake. I'll make you five cakes, and I'll make you the most beautiful cake in the world. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said to go the extra mile. If somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. Why? Because it's showing and demonstrating something greater than our petty politics. And that, I think, is something that has been lost. And over and over and over again, and listen, every time I, every time I think about this, and the more that I think about this, the more I, I think this is true. If Jesus were alive today, I think that he would be so critical of evangelicals. I think he would be so critical. It, it, it frightens me. Every time I read the Gospels, and I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and I see Jesus' confrontation of Pharisees, of the religious people, I can't help but think he is criticizing me. Because I'm, I'm a political leader. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I lead a group of people. And I affect what they think of God, and, they, and I affect their ethics and what they believe is right or wrong. And so I know that's true. So I think that it's very important for us that we understand and recognize that people are involved. And when people get rejected, this is how they feel. They feel lonely, isolated, and forgotten. And there's a word for that, and it's called a closet. And people cannot, we were made for community, we were made for relationships, we were made as individual beings. And whenever we're feeling lonely, isolated, or forgotten, we cannot take that very long because what happens is we'll go crazy. If you find someone that's in solitary confinement for any length of time, they're going to go crazy. And because of the loneliness and the isolation, the lack of human contact, and it frightens me to think about that. And so I think that in so many ways, in order for us to move past these circumstances, we have to separate people from politics. And that's not always easy to do, but it has to be done. And then number four, I think we have to move from politics to mission. If we're going to separate politics from people, then we also need to move from politics to mission. And that is that we have to look, and this is what Bill Henson challenged me to do. And I'm, I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for Bill Henson. What Bill Henson did was, was he, he, gave, he gave me a new perspective that I so desperately needed. And that's why he was my tip of the week. And here's what he challenged me to do, is he challenged me to look at LGBT plus persons as what we call an unreached people group. What's an unreached people group? It simply is this. It's a group of people who have not heard the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
applies to every single person in the world, to the radical terrorist, and it applies to the stay-at-home mom. It even applies to politicians, which is really hard to believe. But it applies to every single person. And so that what we have to do as evangelicals is we have to move past these politics and we have to move back to mission. And our mission, frankly, isn't to defend a person's right to bake cakes or not. I I find that that's something that is a complete distraction. Our mission is to introduce the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. And does Jesus Christ call us to a higher standard? Absolutely. But you know what he does? He lives out that standard perfectly for himself. And even more so what Jesus does as he shows us that we are incapable of doing it on our own. And so that he empowers us through his Holy Spirit. And that's what grace on fire, it means. It means to have the power of the Spirit working inside of you, empowering you to do things that you never thought you could do before, even saying no to your appetites. And I got to tell you, that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. But when we recognize that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, that radically reshapes these conversations. And I think in America, and, and this has been true, and, and you know, as a, as a student of American history, you know, we've never been able to successfully separate mission and re, our politics and religion. I mean, unfortunately, they are radically infused together. And in the West, unfortunately, that fusion has never boded well for us. I mean, if you just go back and look at the history of the last 500 years, religion, whatever it is, and I'm just going to say that um, all all beliefs, whether you're atheist or whether you're you're secular or whether you're a Christian, every kind of, of belief that you have is based ultimately as a faith commitment. And I would dare say that you have religious exercises that are built into that faith commitment. But whenever we lead with ethics and whenever we make ethics our political agendas, what we end up finding is that we really do have a lot of strife. And so I think that we have to be careful there. And I think as Christians, we have to shift. We have to move away from judgment, and we have to shift back to sharing the gospel and to understand that the person, the genuine LGBT plus person who says, you know, I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm even willing, listen to this, I'm even willing to give up some of my sexual appetites in order to follow Jesus, well, that's a radical thing to say. And we should applaud that person. Notice I said the LGBT plus person who wants to follow Jesus. Not suddenly that they're no longer gay or they no longer have these feelings inside. Not that they suddenly aren't not even identifying, but they're just saying, I want to follow Jesus. How do I do that? And we've, we've said to that person, unless you look like me, you can't follow me. And listen, we got to be careful with that. And so I think that we have to move from politics to mission and get back to the very center of what Christianity has always taught. And that is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so those are the four things that I think have shifted. I could add some other things here today, but for time, space, and for time reasons, I have to limit those. But let me just read through these again, because I think they're important. Number one, I think we have to move from confrontation to compassion. Number two, we need to recognize the debate over sexuality as a human problem. Number three, we need to separate politics from people. And number four, we need to move from politics to mission. And I think that if we do those four things, and there's 
bound to be other things. But if we can just focus on those four things, then we can move back into these debates and we can begin to focus this and look at and restore human dignity in our discussions. And that brings me to the end of this episode. Hopefully it was helpful to you. And now I pray this, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always, wherever you are. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.